I'm going to read out of the book of Habakkuk. He's in the Old Testament. You're welcome to turn your Bibles there, but time you find Habakkuk, I'm already going to read it. So look at it on the screen. It says, then the Lord answered to me and said, write the vision, make it plain upon tablets. And I, I'm sorry, I'll read it out of there because this is a different translation. I will stand my watch and set for myself a rampart and I will watch and see what he, God, will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end of it, it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. I want to talk to you this morning on what do you see? If you see with the wrong eyes, the eyes of your own understanding, the eyes of the flesh, and not what God sees, the eyes of faith, you will miss your divine destiny that God has for you. So today, we're going to mount up on wings of the eagle and see what God wants us to see. Father, thank you today for your word. It's a lamp and it's a light. We're going to leave here. We've already been changed because we're together, but Lord, we're going to leave even better because we've been in your presence. In Jesus' name, and all God's men and women said... Amen. Now turn to your labor and say, you're dressed really nice today and sit down. Some of you have said that to me and I'm saying, heck yeah. So I want you to think about something this morning. Would you give the worship team one more round of applause? Can we do that today? Now think about this. So often people, they get ran down by a thing called life. Have you ever went through life and it just got kind of mundane and, and there was no change really going to happen, just kind of going through the same old thing? I believe that God has empowered all of us to speak in faith words, his words, and they become our words and it starts to sculpture our future and our day-to-day life. But too often we kind of just drift through life without meaning, without purpose. We kind of just drift through the same old thing, kids, car, work, back, food, and it just kind of going through the, 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 this same old stuff. And we all long to have what I call a divine adventure to discover something greater than ourselves. That's why the church of Jesus is so important, making church a priority like you're doing, being here today, making God a priority because you're saying, I am bigger than myself. I'm a part of something greater than myself. And that's what everybody longs for. They don't verbalize it often, but they truly do. They long to discover an adventure, a divine purpose that that makes life exciting, that makes life meaningful, that makes life fulfilling. The Bible says in our passage this morning that we're to see what God sees and write it down and have a vision for it. You know, God writes down what he wants to make happen. He wrote the Ten Commandments on rock in Mount Sinai. Do you know that? The first time when God dealt with Moses, we've been dealing with this series on the journey. He deals with Moses, which is a type of deliverer, and tells Moses, I want you to go north and take my children with you. You've skirted around the mountain long enough. And he tells them, I want you to change. Do something different. We know the story. They left Egypt. Egypt is a type of sin, bondage. They go into the Red Sea, which is a type of water baptism. Now they're in the wilderness of just enough. They had just 
left the land of not enough, slavery, beatings, a brutality, not having enough food, not having enough love, not having enough care. They've left that land. They're dreaming for a land of more than enough, but they're right there in the middle of just enough. Do you know God wrote those Ten Commandments first on the rock in Mount Sinai? We know the story. Moses got angry. He broke the Ten Commandments, and God said, now you're going to write them. I wrote them the first time. Now you're going to write them the second time. What's the point? God writes down what he wants to be accomplished. Those Ten Commandments are not Ten Suggestions. The law was given so you can see what you don't have. The law was given not for you to abide in it and obtain it. You can never match the law. The law is a reflection of a need, a need of a Savior. The law was given so you and I would realize we have great need. We can never obtain the law, the do's, and if you do this, I'll do that. We come short, we mess up, we blow it. So God has to send a savior. And for 1,500 years, he sends these Jewish authors under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write every word, living, breathing, God's words that's found in that Bible. That's why the Bible is not just a good book. It gives you something in your day-to-day life, but definitely in the time of need. You read, bi- uh, you read biographies, you read certain literature, you read certain writings, and it's good or it's bad. But do you know the Bible is the only book when you read it, it starts to read you? It starts to read you. It starts to tell you your life and what you need and what you need to stay away from, what you need to embrace. God tells this man by the name of John. John is one of Jesus' disciples. And John, the Bible says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. We know John because John is the only one of the 12 that laid his head upon the chest of Jesus Christ. I believe John was out of the 12, the closest to the heartbeat of God. He laid his chest on the Lord to get the heartbeat of God himself. And so now John, he gets this amazing revelation. He's away from his family. He's away from his church in Jerusalem, which he started. He's away from the things that he loved. And God, through this island by himself called Patmos, gives us this incredible revelation. The church was being persecuted. It was being, it was being traumatized. They were being killed and abused. And now John sees not a savior on a cross, but he sees Jesus high and lifted up. He sees a church not scattered abroad, hiding in corners and caves. He sees a church that's every tribe, every kindred, and every tongue. That's pretty amazing because the Bible says of his kingdom, there shall be no end. That's why the Bible is so amazing because the end of it is called revelation. It's a revelatory account of Jesus Christ. That's why your testimony is prophecy of Jesus. Every time you testify, every time you tell people about the goodness of God, you're prophesying who Jesus is. You're prophesying the good things of the Lord. That's why the Bible's never depressing. People say, oh, it's kind of depressing. I'm, I read the revelation. I can't understand it. Hey, I read the end of the book and guess what? I get excited because we win. Anybody with me? You're glad to be on a winning team today? I certainly am. In Exodus 17, there's this story of war. As I told you, Moses, the type of deliverer in Jesus, he leads them out of bondage, sin, in a land going milk and honey, a land of more than enough. But they're stuck in the middle of just enough. They're in this middle place, and they're wanting more. They're wanting vision. They're wanting the land of milk and honey. But they're just getting enough for each day. But something happens. War starts. 
And the children of Israel in Exodus 17, war comes. And Moses and the children of Israel, they just left bondage. They want this place of more than enough. But now they're in the middle of just enough. And suddenly they're attacked. They're attacked by Amalek. Amalek is a descendant of Esau. Where have you heard that name Esau before? Do you know that it's supposed to be the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Esau? That's how God ordained it in the beginning. But there was a, a brother by the name of Jacob who stole the birthright from Esau. Esau was hungry. His stomach was so hungry. It was so growling. And Jacob, the deceiver, the heel catcher, came along and said, if you give me your birthright, I'll give you this bowl of beans. I'm sure it had some potatoes in it. I'm sure it had some meat up in it. He says, I'll give you these bowl of beans. If you sell me, you'll give me your birthright. What's the point? Esau represented the flesh. Esau represents the flesh. The flesh is always at war with the spirit. Esau represents the flesh. He sold his birthright full of bowl of beans. He gave his gift away. He gave his vision away to the next generation because he was leaning on the arm of the flesh. The flesh always wars against vision. It always wars against, against the spirit. Moses said to Joshua, choose out men of Israel that can fight. The next day, the fight is on. That's why the Christian walk is not a kumbaya with us four and no more. This is a fight. It's it's called the fight of faith. And the Bible says, suit up, put on the armor of God and fight the good fight of faith. You have a good fight to fight because a good fight is a fight that you win. But this fight in Exodus is important because they've never been in a fight in their life. They were, they were slaves. They were in bondage. They didn't know how to fight. They were not taught how to fight. And Moses tells Joshua, choose out men who, who can fight. So tomorrow I'm going to stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And the, and the next day when the battle began, as long as Moses' hands were up, Israel would win the fight. But because of tiredness and because of his age, he would put his hands down and they would start to lose the fight. But that message and that conflict of every battle is clear. You win the fight. It's only won by prayer. It's only won by you beginning to pray. Because when Moses' hands were up, they would win. His hands were down. They were losing. What's the point? If you want to be victorious in your fight, let me give you the three keys of victory. You ready? Pray, pray, and pray some more. You pray until the victory comes. You pray until heaven begins to answer. The Bible says in the book of Acts, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. If you want to shake the landscape of your life, you got to be a person of prayer because heaven breaks through when God's people begin to pray. This war story ends in Exodus 17 with God writing a message. This is interesting to Israel. Had they followed this message, it would have changed the course of human history. Exodus 17, verse 14, listen closely. The Bible says, and the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out from the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. What's Amalek? The descendants of Esau. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put them out of remembrance. I will be at war with them from generation to generation until I exterminate every person related to him on the face of the earth. Why? Because Amalek was trying to kill the Jewish people. 
Had he accomplished that, you would have never had King David. You would have never had Jesus Christ. You would have never had the gospel message. Let's fast forward 900 years. God told him, write that down. Remember it. 900 years go by. There's a king. His name is Saul. He's anointed by the prophet Samuel. And now Saul's king. And God says again, I want you to destroy the Amalekites other, utterly. What's the problem with the Amalekites. They're descendants of Amalek. They're the descendants of Esau. And God says, Saul, take them all out. I don't want you to leave one person. And what did Saul do? He disobeyed the Lord. He didn't kill them all. He spared the king. That evil seed runs its way through the gallows of Haman, and it takes a woman to do a man's job, Ruth. Fast forward to the 19th century, the 20th century. Now you've got a madman, Hitler. If you trace it back in theology, it comes right there to Amalek. It comes right to the evil seed of the Antichrist. What's the point I'm making? When God tells you something, you ought to listen to it, and you ought to trust him that he knows better than you. That means when you write down things and you trust the Lord, it's releasing faith. You're seeing what God sees, not what you see in the natural. If you look at it very simply, it's, it's a proclamation when you write down things. You're, you're proclamating, you're, you're, you're writing down what you want to make happen. That's important to do, not just at the first of the year, but it's important to do when you're going through something. It's important to do when you're believing God for your children, your grandbabies, your church, your ministry, when you're trusting God. Let me tell you what happens the moment you start writing stuff down in faith, with eyes of faith. The enemy starts to come and starts mocking you and says, oh, you, you're thinking way too big here. Oh, he'll start, he'll start speaking to your spirit. Be reasonable. Oh, that's impossible. Another voice will say, you're not worthy of that. Who do you think you are? You're not good enough to get that. You're not talented enough to have that. You'll fail if you get that. Why ask for it? Because if you get it, you're not going to accomplish it anyway. You're going to be disappointed the rest of your life. Why do you keep on going through it? You ought to just settle for less, settle for mediocre. At least you won't be disappointed. Can I tell you, friends, when fear knocks at the door, send faith to answer. No one will be there. You have to learn with the enemy of Esau comes the flesh. You've got to start speaking in faith. I'm a child of God. I am royalty right now. Not just when I get to heaven. I'm royalty right now. I've been sanctified. I've been spirit filled. Angels have gone before me. I just read Psalms 91 out of my spirit to you today. They protect me in all my ways. I have authority of his word. I have the sanctity of his blood. I have power because he's endued me with power. Dunamis power. I have what the Bible says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Nothing's impossible to him that believes. And greater is he that's with in me than he that's within this world. You start speaking like that, you'll make the devil nervous up in his own service. Let me ask you a question. What would you attempt to do for God if you knew you couldn't fail? If failure wasn't an option, what would you attempt to do? Would you go back to school and get that degree? Would you start that business? What would you attempt to do for God? Would you start loving again? Go out and and, and be personable again. What would you attempt to do for God if you knew you couldn't fail? If failure wasn't an option, you ought to write that down. You ought to write it down. Why? Because you're not doing it. God is doing it. Would you believe for that child again? Would you believe for that breakthrough of that bad habit again? 
You know, your life has unlimited possibilities. The Bible says from cover to cover that nothing's impossible to them that believe and who are called according to the purposes of God. That last phrase, however, is very important, and many people overlook it, who are called according to the purposes of God. Make sure what you're believing for, what you're writing down, is God's purpose for your life. Friends, there's a difference between believing and receiving. You wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't believe that God can do something. All of us believe God can do something. You wouldn't be in church today if you didn't believe that. I'm sorry, but when people say, oh, people are unchurched that are here, you, you have some belief or you wouldn't be. It, this is church, you know. It's not the crystal pistol. It's not the yellow rose. It's not Coe's down there on the I of 99. Some of you have seen your cars there. Felt like just parking in front waiting for you to come out. What's up? But this is, you're coming because you believe in God. You have, a, you have a form, you believe, or you wouldn't be here. Let's just, let's just settle that. You, you would not be here if you didn't believe. You believe that God can do it or you wouldn't be here. But the problem many people have, look at me, is believing God can do it for them. You believe God can do it. You believe he's a God of might and majesty, a God of miracles. But the problem that many people face is believing God can do it for themselves. Joey, I just can't believe that God can do that. I've made too many mistakes. I've, I've come out of jail. I've, I've come out of a divorce. I've, I've, I've got bad mindset. I've got bad habits. You know, I, I got in a fight in the parking lot with an usher, and I, I've got issues that goes on. I, but, uh, some, oh, I'm meddling. I just don't know, Joey. I just, I don't believe that God do it. You know, he can do it for others like you because you're holy and handsome, but other people, I just don't know if, if God, see, you have to believe that God can do it, and he will do it for you. He's no respecters of people. He will do it for you if you'll have faith enough to believe it. But how many of you have ever prayed for something? You, ever, you prayed for something? I mean, you really pray, and you didn't get that answer in 30 minutes? How many of you ever done that? You really believed it was going to happen, and 30 minutes went by, and you're like, God ain't listening. He doesn't care about me. I think we've all done that, right? Where are you, God? You see, with eyes of faith... God will help you see the future. I wrote this down the other day, and I thought, this is where we're at right now. Sight is, has to do with what we see, but vision has to do with what we can be. You know, your sight has to do with what you see, but when you have vision, it has to do with what we can be. Do you know an eagle has 10 times greater eyesight than a human being? Why do you think God says you're to mount up on wings of eagle? You're to run and not grow weary. You're to walk and not grow faint. Many of God's children, they've got this amazing opportunity to receive the vision of an eagle, but they live life like a chicken. And they're constantly pluck, 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 pluck. Find themselves in a club, pluck, 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 pluck. Find themselves being evil to others, pluck, 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 pluck. Find themselves compromising, pluck, 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 pluck. God says, stop 
hanging around with chickens. You're not a chicken. I've designed you to be an eagle. I've designed you to see more, see further, see greater things for your life. God's looking at you and he's saying, I put vision inside of you. I put greatness on the inside of you. Not only have I put it on the inside of you, I put it on your family. I put it on your ministry. I put it on your day-to-day life. I've got vision for you. Stop plucking with chickens and start to see with the eagle. Rise higher than the thermal winds. Rise higher than the storm. Rise above it and become an eagle in the very presence of God. I'm preaching. I'm going to stop talking if you don't start speaking. The Bible says by faith, Joseph did something. Joseph Joseph is a type of Christ in the Old Testament. By faith, Joseph, when he died, he made mention of his departing of the children of Israel. And when he made mention of it, he said, take my bones with you. See, he saw something. He saw him leaving a land of not enough Egypt and going to a place of more than enough, a promised land. And he saw further than the future. He said, in effect, when we leave here, we're going to take the wealth of Egypt on ox cars. When we leave here, we're not leaving as slaves. We're no longer being in poverty. We're no longer in bondage. When we leave here, I see freedom. I see wealth. I see a land of milk and honey. At the end of it all, I see more than enough. Not not enough, not just enough. I see more than enough because we serve a God great like that. So I ask you this morning, what do you see? Can you see this change of season, the Lord coming into your life? Can't you see him making a way where there seems to be no way? What do you see in your future? If you think little, you'll receive little. If you see little, you're going to get little. What do you see? I want you to look, not through the eyes of the flesh Esau, not through the eyes of your own understanding because of your upbringing and culture. I want you to see through the eyes of faith. I want you to see health in the place of sickness. I want you to see long life in the place of sudden, unexpected death. I want you to see prosperity in the place of never having enough to make ends meet and struggle from month to month. I want you to see a new dawn of hope exploding in your heart that overshadows your depression. I want you to see God restoring to you sevenfold what Satan is trying to take from you. I want you to see God scattering your enemies like shucks on a thumber's threshing floor. I want you to see depression being crushed in your life and a tsunami of joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. I want you to see dead marriages being resurrected by the everlasting power of God. I want you to see the waves of resistance bowing before you. I want you to see a flower starting to bloom in the midst of the concrete. I want you to see your enemies you don't even realize are in your future. They're there, but the Father's there and he's hand cuffing them so you can accomplish your divine destiny. I want you to see the impossible becoming a reality. I want you to see God moving mountains, causing things to happen. I want you to see what God sees and see with eyes of faith. We have to learn that. You have to learn to focus on your faith. When you do that, you're looking at outcome. You're looking at the, the destination not just the journey. Have you ever read a mystery book? And if you're like me, uh, you look at these books and sometimes they're too long. You're like, oh gosh. Then it becomes boring. Then at the the book and then you go to the end of it and you're like, I want to see what happens. 
Am I the only one? The rest of you are so sophisticated. I'm like, give me the cliff notes. Don't give me all the details. Just give it to me, the cliff notes. That's what I want. But that's why I love the book of Revelation. Because in the book of Matthew, we see the Lord as suffering, as being slapped, slammed his back to the wooden Roman cross. But in the book of Revelation, we don't see him suffering. We see him high and lifted up. I love that picture. In the book of Matthew, we see the Lord coming as meek and mild, coming as lowly, riding on a donkey. But in the book of Revelation, we see him coming on a milk-white stallion, followed by the armies which are in heaven. In the Matthew, we see the Lord crowned of thorns placed upon his head, slapped on the face. But in the book of Revelation, we see him wearing crown upon crown upon crown, for he is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. We see in the book of Matthew him being brought before Pilate and the Sanhedrin and being slapped and mocked. But we see in the book of Revelation every tribe, every kindred, and every tongue, and every knee bowing, and every tongue confessing that he is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love that picture. You know why? Because I'm a winner, and I like to hang around with winners. What's the point? When you write down things, you got to focus on the finish line. You got to focus on the prize. When adversity comes, don't focus on the storm. Focus on the end of the storm. It's not what you're going through. It's what you're going to. It's what you're going to. I love the prophet Habakkuk. He's the minor prophet with a major message. And here's what he says. He has trouble, like many of us, reconciling this thing of fact and faith, how things are and how things should be. And he has trouble trusting God because of the uncertainty of his day-to-day. Habakkuk cries out, quote, the earth deludes with wickedness. The people of God are like fish caught in a net of the wicked. Right is on the scaffold being hung, and wrong is on the throne ruling in absolute power. What's Habakkuk's response? He says, quote, I will stand my watch, and I will get in the tower, and I will look for every evidence that the answer's coming. And I, though that vision tarries, I'll wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not delay. Friends, the God of the mountaintop is also the God of the valley. Anyone can sing when the sun is shining bright but it takes a real person of faith to have worship in your heart in the darkest of the night. Anyone can run to unbelief. Anybody can run to betrayal and live in bitterness and resentment. Anyone could live in doubt. Anyone could live in religion because it's a safe cocoon of bondage, but it takes a real person of faith, a real person to rise on the thermal winds because they've got wings like eagles and they've got vision 10 times greater than in the natural. It's not what you're going through, it's what you're going to. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 10, and I'll close, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are safe. You know, life in America is full of uncertainty right now. Stress, violence, problems, drama. Do you know sooner or later, all of us will experience a crisis greater than our ability to handle a crisis? What do you say when bad things happen to good people? What do you say to the parent who's at the shallow grave of their child that died suddenly and unexpectedly? What do you say to the man or woman who's devastated by divorce because of immorality? 
What do you say to the one who just got diagnosed with cancer? What do you say to the, to the parent that has the daughter come in and say, Mama, Daddy, I'm this, I've done that. And they're devastated by the choice that they've made. Into the chaos of those moments comes Jesus Christ, the giver of life. Into the darkest of night comes the dawn of hope himself. Joy can come in the morning, trust me. The Song of Solomon says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it and are safe. There are four pictures of what I'm talking about today, but I'm going to give you one. And it's the picture of Abraham climbing Mount Moriah with his only son Isaac to prove his loyalty to God. For only Abraham knows that he's sacrificing his only son to God. Now get this picture in your mind. You're an aged father. You've been praying for this boy's birth for decades. He's finally born. Now he's a handsome young man, probably late teens, early 20s. And God says one day to him, I want you to prove your love for me. I want you to take that boy up to that mountain and take his life. I don't know about y'all, but I would have said, God, you're going to have to choose somebody else. You're not going to take my mom, uh, my son, my daughter. You're not going to take them, not my loved one. Choose somebody else. But the Bible says, Abraham, the early the next morning, he gathered his son and the things for the sacrifice. And they began to climb up that mountain. And as they began to climb up that mountain, Isaac looked to his father and said, Father, where's the ram? Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham, the only thing he could say because he couldn't see in the natural. He couldn't see in his arms of the flesh, Esau. The only thing he could see is Jehovah Jireh. And he said, God can see. God can see. You know why? Because there's a close relationship between vision and provision. Vision and provision. That means if God can see it, he can provide it. Friends, God sees everything, which means he can provide everything. But for the sake of the point, let's stick with the original. God can see. He could have said, I don't see, son. Like so many people, when they go through adversity, when they have trouble with their marriage, trouble with their finances, trouble with their children, trouble with their addictive habits, they often speak out of immaturity and they speak out of doubt and unbelief and say, I can't see, I can't see, I can't see. And God says, you need to learn to see like the eagle, walk by faith and not by sight. You see, unseen to Abraham was God's answer. An angel of the Lord was dragging the ram higher and higher. I promise you, as sure as I'm standing here, every time the man of God would say, Jehovah Jireh, God can see, the angel would take that ram and he'd bring it higher and higher and higher until they got to the top of the mountain. I can see Abraham, tears coming down his cheeks, saying, God, you can see, tying his son hand and foot. God, you can surely see, grabbing that razor-sharp dagger in his hand, lifting it toward heaven. God, you can see. And he saw a ram caught in the thicket. Why? Because with eyes of faith, God showed the answer. Are you in a crisis? Are you going through adversity and you see no way that God can come through? I want you to stop plucking like a filthy, dirty chicken and start raising up your wings and get to a place of an eagle and with eyes of faith begin to soar on the thermal winds saying, I can't see, but God can see. I can't see, but God can see. I'm telling you, if you do it, God will make a way where there seems to be no way.